Hello, and welcome to episode 78 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you have joined me today. I know I've been a little slow on the episodes in November. It has been a busy time at work. As you know, I'm an Aryan. But for the very kind and thoughtful people who've written to check in on me, I am not a frontline Aryan. I'm an old nurse, so I work kind of in the background. But I do a lot of fill-in shifts for other people when they are on vacation or out sick or or for people who have quit. And so it has been a very busy time lately. And judging from my calendar, all the way through January, it doesn't look like it's going to get much less busy. So please stay safe out there. We certainly don't need any beekeepers getting sick or having long-term effect or, God forbid, losing any beekeepers. And please take care of you and your family and your friends. I know it's hard and everybody is tired of it but we are so close. We are so close to things changing for the better. So hang in there and stay smart through this winter. And then I think we are all going to have a better year next year. That is what I hope and pray for. Today, I thought I'd just tell you how things wrapped up in the yard this year. Some little tidbits here and there of of things I've been thinking about or watching or listening to or reading. Let me start by expressing tremendous gratitude to the new patrons and the continuing patrons and the patrons who've been with me since the very beginning. It is hard to express how much it means when people like your work and are backing it and making it happen. So if you want to find out more, it's patreon.com slash fiveapple, F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E. Like I mentioned last week, I'm going to start giving books away to the patrons. I'll probably do a bonus podcast for them, talk about the book, make some notes on what I liked or didn't like about it, and then give it away to one of the patrons who express interest. And just so you know, I will not be reviewing or giving away any books that I really don't like. (laughs) I just don't think that's fair to give you a book that I read and go, gosh, this doesn't seem to be a great book to me. So I'll only be giving away books. I actually enjoy at least some component of them. And I will spell that out for anyone who's interested in it. As for me, what I have been doing lately, listening to YouTubes in the background, I continue to go to Bob Benny of Blue Ridge Honey Company. Of course, that's Blue Ridge down in Georgia. I love his videos. I find his voice very comforting somehow. But yes, Bob Benny's voice is just comforting to me. And Kevin England's voice is also one that when I feel stressed, I just put it on to play in the background or listen. And I'm amazed sometimes at one maybe I listened to a long time ago and I'll listen to it again and I hear something completely different because maybe I'm in a completely different place of how I'm doing something in my yard. And suddenly a little tidbit that they throw out is more helpful or or there's just something about the experience that I've had have have made me look at that in a different way. And as way of encouragement to the newer beekeepers, if you stick with this, and I really hope you will, because being a beginner beekeeper, I remember it so well, was just so stressful. I mean, it was just stressful all the time. <laughs> I mean, except when I was actually playing with the bees or or admiring the bees, or buying some cool little beekeeping gadget. But I remember spending so much time worrying about my bees and worrying, with good reason, had I done anything to harm my bees. And um, and so if you have made it through your first season, pat yourself on the back, because no matter what you did, right or wrong, you made it through the first season. And I would ask all of you beginners to commit that no matter what happens this winter, 
and there's just no way to tell. (laughs) Sometimes you can do everything right and things not work out, though I will say the righter you do it, the better your odds of coming through. And even if you just totally messed up, didn't do something vital, that experience is important. You now have an experience that will help you next year. So I ask that you just commit that no matter what happens this winter, you'll go it again next spring. And if you do lose your bees, I would really encourage you to look around for sources of bees, perhaps other than uh, commercial packages, whether it's a split off a friend of yours that you made in Bee Club back when we could go to bee clubs, or just someone you know nearby, or catch a swarm, or you might just think of just doing something a little different. Because Packages are tricky. Now, the better source you get them from, the better they are, but it's always going to be tricky with a packet. If you have comb that your bees made this season, and if your bees don't make it, protect that comb because it is gold. It is pure gold, and it will put you so far ahead of starting out next. So that's my little beginner's feel. Experienced beekeepers, first of all, I want to thank you because I know there's tons of stuff I talk about on this podcast that you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I know that. And maybe like me, you're just listening because it's enjoyable to hear somebody talk about bees, or at least it is for me. And if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure it's true for you. I would welcome particularly experienced beekeepers writing me at blueridge714 at gmail.com. That's blueridge714 at gmail.com and telling me if there's any topics that you've been thinking about and wondering about, and it will give me something to do a deep dive and some research and bring you back what I find. So another one of my go-to reading things is The Apiarist, and that's the Scottish beekeeper's blog. He is very humorous, very funny, and the Scots just have these wonderful expressions. I mean, if you read the blog, you will know. the One of the last ones I read, it was talking about bigging up a new, bigging up. And I thought that was great. I'd never heard that expression. Apparently, it's a Scottish expression, and he was using it in the sense of, of building up a new to a full-size hive. But in that post, which I will also put that in the show notes, I'm making a note to myself now to remember to do that because it was a very good post. He talked a lot about these nukes that you make either in the um, early summer or in the late summer, the various things that you can do with them and kind of how to think about what you're going to do with them. And of course, the holy grail of beekeeping, of being prepared for whatever it is you're going to need to do with them because they, they grow very fast. But it was I thought it was a wonderful blog post. And while I'm there in Scotland at the Apiarist, I have noticed that many of the beekeepers in the UK use clear inner covers. So the inner cover, instead of being the wooden one with the usually the oval hole in the middle, they seem to use kind of a plexiglass version so that you can actually take the outer cover off, look down into the bars without exposing the bees to any wind. And I'd seen that. And of course, my first thought was, wow, that seems like it would form a lot of condensation in there. But what I found out from the apiarist blog is that they also use that with an insulated lid. So that is one of the things that inspired me. So now I'm going into what's going on in my yard. I've told you about the bees in the shed. And these are little tiny newt. Not because they dwindled down, but rather because they were started with maybe one frame. Remember, I use medium, so these are little frames. Maybe they were started as a mating newt, you know, with just a frame or two in late summer. And my point in getting those late summer queens is that if you've ever done it, the way they come out of spring, they come into spring, I should say, absolutely busting. 
I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. And once you see that, you're like, wow, I'd like to do that because it's also a, a kind of a different technique, you know, as opposed to building up these giant burly hives to get big enough to get through winter with these little nukes. If you can figure out a way in your microclimate to get them through winter, then they don't use much food. And of course, you have to watch that food very carefully because they can run out really quickly. They don't need much food. They don't need much space. They don't require a lot of equipment other than some insulation board in a lot of places. Anyway, I'd seen this done so often that I started using the shed. Regular listeners know this whole story. Well, anyway, I've got this shed all set up and running. That involved um, taking these small nukes that I had tried to build up. And in hindsight, I wish I had tried a little harder because some of them are much smaller than I am really comfortable with, even in the shed. I moved them to an outyard, and then after a couple of weeks, moved. Actually, it was only a couple of weeks, which in the summer I don't know if that would be long enough, but in the winter it seems to be. And then I moved them back here to the farm so I could put them in the shed. And my technique was because I didn't even have the nuke boxes built, and this year I was determined that the boxes in the shed were all going to be the exact same size, and I was determined to do a better entrance in and out of the shed because these are free flying nukes. They're just the the body of the nuke is inside the shed. Then there's a little passage where they can fly outside. And this is an uninsulated, unheated shed. It just provides, definitely provides some wind guard and definitely some, some heat assist because that envelope of a shed kind of counts as a layer of insulation to some extent. And then these little boxes are insulated with foam board on the outside. It's a little easier in there because I don't have to deal with wind or rain, you know, and I can just lay a foam board on top to be the outer cover. They don't even really have outer covers because they are protected in the shed. Anyway, what I was trying to get to is, so they are all set up in there. And the way I did that is I would bring their little nukes back, their outdoor nukes, and I would set them outside the shed right in front of the entry hole that was going to be theirs. Now, if I were wintering nukes outside, you want to gang them up and push them together to help them uh, conserve their heat. But the catch about the shed is if I were to do that in the shed, then the holes, their entry holes, I feel like would be too close together because on the outside, if you know, you can have the entry holes in different places, but these holes would be just right beside each other. I just, I have them set about, about a foot apart. And I just did that so that in the event that I need to put an eight frame medium in there for some reason, like if I run out of a nuke or anyway, there's enough room for about seven or eight of those. And so all the slots are full at the moment. I have told myself that if my outside overwinter nukes, if the winter starts to look really bad, that I could conceivably make another shelf. But anyway, I'll try to get back to my point. I don't have any plexiglass to use as the covers, the inner covers. And the Brits seem to have the piece of plexi with no hole or anything in it, with a rim of wood around it. I didn't want to work with Plexi, but I have a roll of greenhouse plastic. It's a very heavy-duty clear plastic that someone gave me, and I want a hoop house someday. And so I snipped a little bit off the end of this roll to experiment with using clear inner covers, in this case, greenhouse plastic. And I got this idea from YouTube, a fellow named, it's either Aiden or Adrian Quiney, I believe is how he says it, Q-U-I-N-E-Y or something close to that. And he is up in northern Wisconsin. He doesn't have that many videos, but he does some pretty interesting stuff and very much involved in overwintering nukes for him up there that is uh, is like a double six frame deep. So 
it's a pretty big, virtually a single, but up there, he has really good results in doing late season queens and overwintering nukes. And if you can do that in northern Wisconsin, you can do it pretty much anywhere if you're interested. So I, so wrapping back around, he used some, some type of heavy plastic because I would see him peeling it off. His was not terribly visible. And of course, you've seen a lot of people probably use the Reflectix, like the silver foil bubble wrap. You can use that as an inner cover. And again, you know, with these inner covers that fit tight and that are not absorbent, you do have to keep in mind that you're going to deal with condensation if it's a, a hive of any size and just kind of mentally be prepared for that. So you need an insulated lid or some something to, to deal with that. So I cut little rectangles of this greenhouse plastic. I left a little bit of overhang, and then I put those on top of the nukes, just like right over the, the top bars. My first thought was to put a rim and then the plastic over the top of the rim and then the piece of insulation board that is serving as an outer cover. But some of these are so tiny that I thought that's just too much airspace up there. And then also what I found is I could take that greenhouse plastic, lay it essentially right on the top bars. And as long as you don't stretch it down tight, there's still room. The bees can cross over the top bars. And also there's even enough room because, you know, you're not pressing it down tight or anything that I was even able to put in some of the winter patties. These are the patties that look like pollen patties, but are comprised of very different contents. It's mostly carbohydrates, very little protein. They're kind of a pale yellow instead of the dark brown of a, of a pollen patty. And that was just, even though I made sure all, all the nukes had honey frames and nectar frames, I lost a couple last year from beekeeper error. And it, it, was, it was difficult to tell how much food they had left. A couple of them starved and I was just aghast. And so this year, I'm like, that will not, that will not happen again if I can help it. And so my workaround is to use these winter patty. I think I got them from, I'm not sure who I got them from, maybe Man Lake. Uh, but they're thin and you can lay them right on the top bars. Even on an outside hive, you could, I think you could probably lay them on the top bars and even flip an inner cover. The inner covers that have the rim around the top, you could flip that and probably have enough space for these to go on there. So I put just a little, like a little half pad on each of these nukes. And it's really fun because I like to see them nibbling on it. <laughs> and I can see them nibbling on it because of these plastic inner covers. So I can lift off the top board and look right down, see the bees with a flashlight at night. Since they do have plastic, I can do that. I can actually look and see how many seams of bees there are in each of these nukes. And that's why I'm concerned because some of them are really tiny. I can see in the day if they're nibbling around the edges of the winter patty, which is just fun to see. It gives them something to do on days that are warm enough for them to be wandering around the nukes, but not warm enough to be flying. Of course, ideally, you want them as cozy and calm and quiet as possible because that's they live longer if it's an undisturbed quiet cluster. That's why the commercial beekeepers up in Dakotas, when they overwinter hives in a warehouse, and now these are closed hives, when they do that, they keep them, if I'm not mistaken, at something around 40 degrees, 40 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit, because that's the magic temperature at which they stay in cluster, but yet they're burning the least amount of resources. And so similarly, the quieter they can be, so I don't want that shed too warm, like in, in the in the day or, or whatever. And that's why, like I said, it's not heated, it's not insulated, just as an 
extra safety net. So anyway, I'm having a great time with my greenhouse plastic inner covers. One of the unforeseen side effects is that when you lift that insulation board off, if there are any hive beetles in that little nuke, the bees have corralled them up on the top bars. And you'll see this if you're in hive beetle territory. You'll see this when you pop off an inner cover of any hive. If there's hive beetles in there, usually the bees have corralled them on top. And so then it becomes this game of whack-a-mole for the beekeeper to kill as many as you can without squashing any bees on those top bars because you've just released them into the hive. What I found is there were a couple of my nukes that had some hive beetles. When I would lift up that insulation board, they would start to make an escape. But, okay, this is gross. If you're grossed out easy, just skip this part. But you can actually smash them through the plastic. It's it's gross feeling. <laughs> I mean, I've just done it with my finger, but uh, by God, they're dead. And so that was good. That and, and, and I did that a few times, have not seen a high beetle since. So hopefully, maybe I got the majority of them dead. Because on those little tiny colonies, hive beetles can really can really cause a lot of a lot of trouble. And speaking of that, a friend of mine asked me, had I seen any hive beetle activity on the winter patties? And I have not. And even when I saw them up on the top bars, they were nowhere near the winter patties. They were kind of over, you know, the bees had corralled them elsewhere. So I'll be keeping an eye on that, which is really easy to do through the plastic cover. The other thing that I've noticed, because the, my first thought was, okay, this will allow me to watch the condensation, like to figure out where the condensation is in a hive so I can better understand that because I just, I have been very confused with a lot of my outdoor hives in the past of some that would have water issues, moisture issues in there, some that would not, and they would be set up to, as best I knew, exactly the same. And so I'm sort of fascinated with this patterns of condensation inside the hive because as you know, condensation inside the hive is not all bad. And I have read that in a, a natural hive, like in a tree, that the bees actually use the condensation as their water source to dilute the honey. So, so condensation is a natural part of a hive, at least in my climate and in other uh, high humidity, moist, cool climates, but you just cannot have too much of it and you definitely can't have it dripping on your bees. So I am actually thinking about experimenting with some of the outdoor hives. This is something you can do when you have a bunch of hives, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, I, I won't experiment on my very favorite hive in case things go awry, but to I would love to put this plastic out there and then, you know, run out there first thing in the morning after a cold night and see uh, where the, if there's condensation, where it is and all that to just try to get a more, a more visual understanding of what's going on. Because usually what I have seen is that just on wooden inner covers, some of them will kind of stain dark where there's obviously been moisture issues, usually in the back corners, which does make sense. But I would like to understand better how that works. So I will experiment and let you know what I find. The other thing that I have been experimenting with, oh, before I go off the shed bees, I had mentioned their entrances. I did better entrances this year. And again, I got the idea for the better entrances off the blog, The Apiarist, because he does bee research and he has some full-size hives in sheds 
that are free flying and in Scotland. And so uh, I looked at how he did the entrances, which because their bottom boards don't have that lip that sticks out, then he was pretty much able to just, you know, push theirs up to the wall, essentially. My nukes that I've adapted, there there's some new nuke boxes that I adapted to go in the shed. They're five frame. And I actually ordered the deeps because that way I used Reflectix stapled on the bottom and then several pieces of foam insulation board, not several, like two, and then another sheet of Reflectix on top of it because they will chew that foam insulation board, but they don't seem to chew Reflectix. That way they have an insulated built-in bottom board because their entrance is not on the bottom board. It's about, it's just under the handle of the new. What I did is I just drilled a three-quarter inch hole in the new, and then I drilled a three-quarter inch hole in the wall of the shed. And with foam board, it's hard to explain, but um, I, I made, it's like a little bumper, if you will. So I can slide the nuke right up to the foam board and, and firm it up. And then their passage is very direct from the nuke to the outside. The Plus, it, last year I used these tube things, which were just a big pain in the butt, and sometimes they would pop off, and bees would get in the shed. It was a it was a big mess, so I did not want to use those again. And this is very simple, and also you can make sure that they are closed to the shed by just firming them up to that front wall. And I used the foam board because I didn't want to push them right up against the the wood of the shed because it's pretty thin and that would be pushing them right up against a cold surface. So it does have the foam board in between. And so that I think will work will work better. And so since those were at a different level, now I have to seal up the other holes from last year um, on the shed. They're, they have grocery sacks stuck in, stuck in them right this moment. It's not very attractive. So I got to get a board and seal those up. So the clear inner covers have been great fun experimenting with that. May try it outside, just trying to learn more about the whole moisture condensation thing because it's like I have read so much and I have read everything from scholarly papers to, you know, people up in the far north who do very detailed um, temperature analysis on hives with various kinds of insulation and, and then what the moisture issues are. But like everything in beekeeping, it is so microclimate specific. And so I have to learn it from my particular combination of temperature ups and downs and my particular humidity, all that type thing, my particular equipment. um, That's what I want to learn what will work best. And for you, that's what you have to learn in each in your area. It will be much easier if you can find someone with at least several years experience that can give you a huge jump start. They can, you know, in a few months of that kind of mentoring can leapfrog you in what will take you years to learn on your own otherwise. That's why I keep pushing always finding your mentor when you're starting out. And even when you're not starting out, experienced beekeepers, a lot of times people will get in a rut. I mean, it might be a successful rut. It works great for me, so so why change it? But so much of the fun at least for me in beekeeping, is figuring out new and different ways to do things that work best for me. And sometimes it just comes down to what I like the best or what I enjoy the best. And I see this a lot in talking to other beekeepers. They may have survival rates equal or better than mine. They might do things that have 
totally not worked for me or vice versa. And so it's really fun to try out the different things. The encouraging thing about all that is, as I know, especially at the beginning, it can be overwhelming when you ask, how do I do this thing? And people give you 10 answers of how you could do that thing. Some of it is just figuring out what works for you. One technique I've always been taught is at first, do it the way your mentor does it. If you have an experienced, successful mentor, I'll put that in there. Do it the way your mentor does it. And then brand, you know, and when you get that to work fine and you kind of understand why it works, then try, try experiments <laughs> or just try a different method that some other experienced beekeeper tells you worked for them. And I don't mean to just harp on that um, multiple ways to do things, but like I've mentioned before, you know, I might have three different hive configurations done three different ways and they all work out okay. And so obviously there's nothing vital about any of those hive configurations. It's just overall, the management system uh, is working. So as usual, I have wandered all over the place. But there was one thing when I was talking about that condensation that I I wanted to make sure to get in. And that is, I've mentioned the quilt boards. I read recently that the inner cover used to be a piece of fabric and it used to be called a quilt. But a quilt board is typically like a, a rim with a bottom on it. And then it's filled with some type of absorbent chips, wood chips, usually some places where they have a lot of wool, use wool. One thing about the quilt board, and this is to do with the condensation, is that any moisture, this is what I'm told, any moisture you see on those wood chips is going to be on top of that rim, not on the surface that is right above the bees. And so that's so counterintuitive in some ways, but basically the the exhalation and the moisture of the bees goes up through those chips and then it hits the cool lid on top, and that's where any condensation is. Now, if the outer cover is insulated, I don't know if you get any condensation, but all those things, things to explore, things to study, and that is what keeps beekeepers busy during the winter. So I'll put these links in the show notes. I have so many things to talk to you about. It was actually hard to get started on this podcast today because because I hadn't done one just on my own, you know, that's not an interview in a bit. But now that I'm talking to you, I have so many things I want to tell you about. And one of them is some experiments I did this year of record keeping. My clipboard with notes was just not working out because I would always find myself out in the a yard or somewhere and need to make a note and not have my clipboard. And then I would make myself notes in my phone and then I couldn't remember where I put them. So I did some experiments of using calendars and Google Forms and I I'll tell you all about that. Patrons, stay tuned. This week I am committing. I am going to do my first uh, book review and book giveaway over on Patreon page. I'll put a bookmark here on the regular podcast feed so that you'll know it's up. There won't be any rush because basically I'll let it sit there and get your comments on the book review. And then if you are interested in that book, you can let me know in a comment that you are. And then at that point, I will figure out a way to do the whole random drawing thing and get you a copy of the book. All right. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I look so forward to talking to you again. You are all really special to me. When I hear from you, when you send me an email or, or, oh, I have to say thank you to Randy who sent me a link to his presentation that he was doing for some bee clubs. I loved it. It was a Zoom meeting. I have gotten to tune into other Zooms that have been so fun. And in fact, I even kind of got in trouble with some of my human companions because I just wanted to go to these Zoom meetings and listen. I'm sending regards out to all of you. Stay safe and let me know what's going on with your beekeeping studies. What are you looking into that is interesting you or what is it that you want to learn this winter? 
I want to hear about it. BlueRidge714 at gmail.com or for patrons, just send me a message over there. Thanks and have a great week.